Thank you for listening to the Alliance Church Podcast. We desire to connect you with God and one another, whether here in Wisconsin or around the world. Let's listen into this week's message. So my question again, if Jesus really walked out of that tomb, uh, what, would that, what would that mean for your life? The very first person, as we just heard, to see Jesus after he walked out of the tomb was Mary Magdalene. You know, at the time, her world was completely upside down. She didn't even recognize him. And, I mean, it was also such an unthinkable, like, impossible event. She didn't even have a framework to have expected this, really. Um, But in this confusion, Jesus said to her one word, and it changed everything. It was one of the most powerful words uh, you can say to someone, actually. You know what it was? It's her name. Nothing will get your attention like hearing someone say your name. I remember when I was in elementary school, I uh, lived with my mom in an apartment complex, and there was this enormous lawn surrounded by all the apartment buildings, and all of those kids that lived in that complex would play on that lawn, and we'd, I mean, we'd have some intense soccer matches, uh, some freeze tag. I don't even know if people still play kick the can, but we kicked the can. It was, it was, if they don't, they need to bring it back, right? But with all this shouting and uh, chasing each other around and you know, laughing and so on and so forth, even if I was a long ways away from my apartment, all my mom had to do was open the back door, step out on the porch and say, Brandon, <laughs> one word like that. And my ears would perk up immediately. And now if mom were here, she'd probably say, oh, interesting to hear you heard me the first time. I seem to remember that a little different. Truth is I heard her, which is what I did with the information. That was another story. Uh, nothing will get your attention. How is it that with all that noise going on, I was able to still hear one word from my mom. Here's the deal. Our, our brains are constantly like filtering out information we don't really need so that we can tune in on the stuff we do need. And when someone says your name, it activates the part of your brain that uh, allows you to dial in your listening and process information and make decisions. Nothing will get your attention like hearing someone say your name. And then uh, it doesn't just get your attention. Think about this. It also gets your affection, doesn't it? It just feels good to hear someone say your name. I mean, and on, the, on the flip side, nothing will show someone uh, that you don't care about them more quickly than calling them by the wrong name. Ron Swanson uses that strategically. Uh, but you, you think about this, uh, depending on how it's said and who is saying it, when you hear someone say your name, it can immediately activate your, your fight or flight response or it can, it can actually cause your brain to release the feel-good chemicals, the, the dopamine and serotonin and so on. Um, uh, salesmen understand this, don't they? That's why as soon as they get a hold of your name, they pepper it all throughout the conversation. It's like a youth pastor saying, Father God, when they pray, right? It's, it's like every other sentence. <laughs> hey, listen, Brandon, here's the deal. You know, here, I appreciate you, Brandon. So what I'm going to do for you, Brandon, is I'm going to knock off about 15% of the retail. All right, Brandon? And I'm going to give you a coupon for a restaurant, Brandon, so you and Mrs. Brandon can go have a nice dinner. That sound all right, man? <laughs> when, you, when you pick up on it, you go, I'm being manipulated. But what happens when you don't pick up on it? You go, wow, 15%. That's a pretty good deal. 
You know, I don't know what it is. I just kind of like this guy, right? It's so powerful. It's gross when it's manipulated. But when someone is sincere, someone who actually cares about you, says your name, it's a really powerful thing in a really good way. And uh, I mean, just think about this. If, if I just, you know, look through here and uh, find someone, I say, uh, Alicia, how you doing? You know, Alicia smiles, she lights up. I say, Doug, you know, Doug might not have been paying attention, but now he is, right? You get your attention, you get affection. And, you know, uh, here's the deal. Why does this get our attention and our affection so powerfully? I believe it's because it touches straight to the core of our identity. Like, like hearing our name, it's like our name's like a button wired directly to the who I am part of us. It makes it personal. And a lot of us envision God as being this distant, cold, impersonal being. But I tell you, the God we read about in this book right here, he's not distant. Transcendent, yes, but not distant. High and lifted up, uh, ruler over all things, all powerful, almighty. You better believe it. But distant, no, he is near. He is imminent. In Jesus specifically, we learn that God is not only powerful, but he's personal. And he calls us by name. That's a, that's a big deal. In the passage of scripture we're gonna look at today, Mary will hear Jesus call her by name. And it just changes everything. So I wanna read this. It comes from John 20. And I want us to pray together. A very simple prayer. I, just want, us, I want us together to just say, God, would you, would you help us get this? Like, would you help us understand it up here, but like down here too, would you help us get it? And then we'll look at it a little bit more closely. And uh, my goal is that as we enter into Mary's world and we hear Jesus call her by name, my goal is that maybe, just maybe, this would help you hear him call you by name. So here it is. John chapter 20, and I'll start at verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, just tell me where you have put him and I'll get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. 
Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the, the word of our Lord, it endures forever. So would you pray with me now about this church? I imagine, God, that everyone in here has a challenge uh, to actually believe that you're with us. We all, uh, no matter if we're new to the faith or if we've been uh, following you for decades, we, we all have moments where we go, is, is God really with me? Is God really personal? Does he really care? But we see right here, Jesus, that you meet Mary right where she's at and you call her by name and it changes everything. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to get this text and not just get it in, in our brains, Lord, but would you help us to really get it? Would it actually change the way we interact with you and the way we understand you? And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If, if for those of you who have re like read this before, have, have you ever paused and just, uh, just thought about like what was going on in Mary's world at the time? You talk about being let down. I mean, her entire world had just come crashing in on her. I'm talking about a complete absence of hope. She was totally disillusioned, totally disheartened. You see, you gotta understand that Jesus wasn't just a friend. I mean, he had become everything to her. He had freed her from her demons. All the rest of society had given up on her, but Jesus had brought healing into her soul and her body in a way that she never thought would be possible. Now he's, now he's gone, ripped from her. And what's more, she didn't just lose Jesus. She had wit witnessed him being tortured. For hours, she stood by on that Friday and watched this inhumane saga, this violence. Mary wasn't just sad, she was traumatized. No doubt that Friday night after the cross and after those events, she would have spent alternating between intense emotions and severing numbness from tears to sobs to wailing to convulsions to not feeling anything at all. If that night she somehow managed to doze off, waking up on Saturday morning would have brought a fresh new wave of despair as she was hit again with the reality that it wasn't a dream, but the nightmare was actually reality. You know those Saturdays? where it doesn't rain hard, but it rains a lot. It never, kind of, it never quite stops. You get a little bit of light rain, it'll taper off to a drizzle and you think it might break. You might think there is gonna be some sunshine, but then a dark uh, rain cloud rolls in and just picks it back up. Saturday for Mary would have been one wave of anguish after another. Have you ever sobbed so long you had a headache? And just when the tears begin to dry, 
imagine another memory would come into Mary's mind or maybe a familiar face. Someone would knock at the door and it'd be someone else that loved Jesus who's also grieving. And in an instant, uh, the flood of emotions would just inundate her body and her, her mind again. She probably went to bed on Saturday night so fatigued she actually slept. But then on Sunday morning, she woke up she took a breath and said, okay, I'm ready. And she set out to, uh, to, to complete the burial preparations. Doesn't it seem like one of life's most cruel realities? One of the worst requirements of life is that the bereaved must make funeral arrangements. You know, but it's, it's part of the process. And uh, Mary was as ready as she would ever be. So before the sun even came up, she set out and she was on a mission to tend to the body of her Lord. And now as far as she knew, the tomb was still sealed. It was still being guarded by, by Roman soldiers. And even if they weren't there, it would have taken a small army of power lifters to roll that stone away. I don't know what, what, what her plan was. And maybe she didn't have one. She gets to the tomb and what does she find? The, the stone's already rolled away. And then the body is gone. And her only logical conclusion is that it was here and now it's gone. Someone must have taken it. And so distraught, she goes and tells the others. And Peter and John sprint to the tomb to see for themselves. At a certain point, they leave. And the spotlight, John's spotlight, uh, moves to Mary. We see in verse 11, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. See, the wound had just barely started to heal. And now this rips it uh, back open all over again. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and she saw, she saw two angels <laughs> seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the foot. And they asked her, woman. Now, this is, in this language, they didn't have the words ma'am, miss or missus. This was the polite way to address a female. Um, say, woman, why are you crying? Now, this is a rhetorical question, not a rebuke. They, they know something she doesn't know. And as figures in John's progressive unveiling of the great cause for joy, they gently begin to point Mary past the pain she's feeling right now toward the good news she's about to discover. But she doesn't know what they know yet. And so she's saying, don't you guys get it? I mean, they've taken my Lord away. I don't, I don't know where they've put him. You see how fixated she is on finding the body. Think about this. Just about every single other person the Bible records seeing an angel is seized with terror. If they tremble, they fall on their face. 
But Mary, the presence of angels, it like doesn't even phase her. Why is that? Her, her perception of the world around her, it's not what it normally would be. Why? Because of the intensity of the trauma caused by witnessing the violent execution of Christ, coupled with the deep anguish she feels from losing him, and then all of that being triggered again by the body having been taken. I want you to see that Mary was in such pain, she couldn't see, she couldn't even see past her own tears. Verse 14, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. Well, she didn't realize, she didn't even realize it was Jesus. Like such deep anguish and such an unbelievable event. Like she didn't even have a category for this. But now watch how Jesus lovingly moves her toward the dramatic revelation of his post-resurrection reality. Verse 15, he asked her, woman, now again, this is polite, but it's not personal. Woman, why are you crying? The same, same question the angels ask, but this time he takes it a step further. And he says, who is it you're looking for? You notice it's kind of, Mary hadn't really been looking for a who, but a what. Like she's, it's like Jesus is saying, listen, Mary, you don't, you don't need to be looking for a cadaver right now. You need to be looking for a person who's alive. She's, she's still not quite connecting the dots. Thinking he was the gardener. She thought, he, she, she thought he was the guy, you know, that managed that little area. And thinking she was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've, you've carried him away, just tell me where you've put him. I'll, I'll go get him. And right there, it almost seems like she's bargaining, doesn't it? That, that phase of grief where you try to you know, kind of negate the loss somehow by negotiating, even if it doesn't quite make sense. What I want you to see, she's fixated uh, and, and the best possible outcome for her. Think about this. The best possible outcome is that she find a dead body. Do you see the gap between what Mary expected and what God had done? It's enormous. It's immeasurable. She's looking for a corpse, but Jesus is alive. <laughs> and there's significant eternal implications. I'll say this. There's significant eternal uh, implications predicated upon the reality that Jesus raised from the dead. He had said four days before to his followers, because I live, you also will live. And then the next day, he kicked the bucket. How does that make any sense? Like, how, how can I trust my life to someone who loses the battle with death? Like, I want, I, the only person I want to trust with my life is just me. You guys make your own decision. But the only one I want to trust with my life, both here on earth and in eternity, is the one who himself has personally walked through both victoriously. She's still not connecting the dots, but here, Jesus, with one word, he's gonna open Mary's eyes to an entire new reality. Here comes the one word that changes her world. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, here it is, one word. 
Mary. In fact, her uh, native language was Aramaic. Jesus said, would have said to her, Mariam. Her familiar name in her, in her heart language. And the lights come on. And she turned to him and in Aramaic cried out, Rabboni. And she says, teacher. And now he's got her attention and her affection like that. Her name in her language, right where she was at, pierced through the raging storm of emotions. And she knows it's him. She can't even explain how, but she just knows that Jesus was dead, but here he is in front of my eyeballs and he's alive now. And now there's one last uh, set of dots uh, to connect here. Jesus is going to point Mary past the empty tomb. It's bigger than that to an eternal relationship with God. Verse 17 Jesus said, do not hold on to me. You get the picture. Uh, Mary just wrapped him up. And, and after a while, Jesus says, okay, at, a, at some point, you're gonna have to let go of me. <laughs> Why would he say that? He says, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Process this. He didn't just come back to life to resume business as usual. There was something way bigger than that happening. Jesus says, don't, don't hold on to me too tight. Don't misunderstand this moment because uh, we're on a way bigger trajectory. I'm going to ascend to my father. He wasn't just uh, resuscitated. He, he, he ain't ever going to die again. <laughs> and, and instead of just doing the father's work in one isolated little region, he's going he's gonna to retake his seat upon the throne in heaven at the right hand of the Father and rule and reign from on high and send his very spirit, not to just be present in one zip code, but to dwell with every believer on every continent for the rest of all time. Something way bigger was going on. And, and, and Jesus wanted Mary to, to get that. And he says, go then to my brothers and tell them, Tell them, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Like they're now the same. Jesus' father is now the father of his followers. Jesus' God is now the God of his followers. You see, at this point, Jesus has accomplished everything, everything necessary to bring humans into a relationship of love and communion with God the Father. That's the gospel that the cross, the empty tomb, Jesus ascending back onto heaven, the spirit coming, that man might be reconciled to God, that women might be reconciled to God, that even children may be reconciled to God. That's the gospel. And the first thing Jesus does is he commissions Mary to go and proclaim it. And that's exactly what she does. Verse 18, Mary went to the disciples with the news, with the gospel. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. So what does this mean for us today? My initial question, if Jesus really walked out of that tomb, what does it mean for your life? If 
Jesus really walked down to that tomb. Well, that changes everything, doesn't it? What it means is that, as he said in John 19, 14, because he lives, those of us who desire to love him the way Mary loved him, those of us who will follow in her footsteps will live too. I love, it's, it's, you know how a laser just takes light and focuses it so intensely on one spot that it can actually cut through steel. Jesus took this grand display of God's power, conquering the grave, conquering death, this grand display of God's power, and, and he focused it in so intensely on Mary. He made it so intensely personal by calling her by name that it changed everything. And now here's the deal, the more I, the more I read this book, the more I realize, and I believe with all my heart, that he wants to do the same for you and me today. He, he has had your name on his heart since before he even put this universe together. So my challenge to you, church, is this. Maybe you go read this account for yourself and spend some time in it swim around in it a little bit. But my challenge to you is, would you dare to put yourself in Mary's shoes and hear Jesus call you by name? We're gonna move now to the portion of the service where uh, a young lady, another young lady and a young man have have. Uh, done just that. They've heard Jesus call their name and they're ready to just proclaim it to the whole universe through the ordinance of water baptism. So would you hear now the testimonies of uh, all eight people who are being baptized here in Hortonville this morning? 